want to talk about this today. So let's just ask God to bless our time together and uh, ask Him to work. Father, thank You for our, t- our time together. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what we've heard today and been encouraged by Your Word. Help us now, Lord, to think biblically and to think in a way that would honor You. And uh, we will give You thanks for how You're working in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Do you remember the music scene when you were young? There was rock and roll and everything else. Right? That was it. And you'd turn on the AM radio and listen to the top 40s, or you'd buy LPs or or singles. And in our day, music was going to be the vanguard of the revolution that was going to change the world. Well, the more things change, the more they remain the same. It's no longer rock and roll with a few variations. Now it, now you have pop, alternative rock, indie rock, emo, hardcore, which can also be classified as grindcore, metalcore, post-hardcore, hip-hop, punk, which can be classified as pop-punk, crust-punk, post-punk, reggae, ska, electronica, shoegazer, pop, heavy metal, new metal, grunge, and so forth and so on. It keeps going on and on and on. It's not as easy as it used to be. And with technology, you're no longer dependent on the big record companies, Right? You produce your own CDs, you get it out on your on the internet, maybe someone will pick it up and and so forth. And it has no real driving force like the revolution in our day, you know. Now it just seems it's extraordinarily individualistic and the universe ends about this far from your nose. Um, and yet some, some things just don't change either. One is, for some reason, the issue of music is divisive. I don't know why. I don't know why that is, but it just is. It's always been that way. Um, that's something I've, I've wanted to think about and haven't taken the time yet. And inevitably seems to be a younger person's issue. Now, before we go on, let me tell you what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about. Okay? This is not intended to lay out for you what some might consider the biblical definition of acceptable music. If you've come for that, it's the wrong workshop. If you want to endure the rest of it, that's fine. But what, and it's not about worship music either. Okay? We're not going to talk about the worship wars and all that's going on with music. What I want to address is counselors who work with young people, parents who interact with their children, counselors who help parents. Anyone who says, oh no, he's listening to that junk. What are we going to do now? Okay? Now, I can tell you that this is not a theoretical topic for me. Uh, Beck and I have had six children together, three boys and three girls. Two of those boys were involved in music. In fact, they formed three different bands in their young lives. And um, In fact, the first band, they said, what are we going to name our band? And so I went to my office and I looked up the word noise in my Greek lexicon, and I said, hey, how about ACOS? And so that was the name of their first band. Um, they, Like I say, they formed three different bands, writing and playing their own music, and i got to tell you, I didn't particularly like their music. In fact, I told them, guys, whatever you do, do not play this at home. Your mom will just die, okay? Just don't even think about it. Well, this in turn brought about countless hours of discussion around our kitchen table about the nature of music, 
what's good and bad music from artistic view, what does music say, what are you trying to say with your music, what is a Christian worldview, and how does that affect your music, both lyrically and musically, and even dis- dis- even extended discussions about the nature of art itself. In fact, it got so intense after a while, I said, guys, let's want to talk about baseball or something. This is, you know. As I thought about how I would be faithful and godly parent, I had to wrestle with this. Was I going to view music as an enemy or an avenue with my sons? So let's talk about viewing music as the enemy. Okay? When music is the enemy, it may reveal attitude problems. Something has interfered that now interferes with an otherwise enjoyable life. It becomes an irritant and I have to get rid of it. My children become irritants because they insist on listening to that awful music. When music is the enemy, it may reveal a focus problem. The music now becomes the central issue rather than people and ministry. And you start to miss the areas of real importance. You miss your heart. When children are not doing exactly what I want them to do, suddenly suddenly everything changes in that relationship. You miss their hearts. There's more to this than just listening habits and listening to the right kind of music. You miss relationships. The son you played, the son you loved and you played with now becomes your enemy and you start to back away from him. Okay? When music is an enemy, it may reveal a theological problem. You are functioning with or will soon develop an unbiblical view of change. If we only get rid of this evil influence of this music, our young people will be all right. Now that comes from a misunderstanding of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Growing up as I did in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, to grow a beard and a mustache was just unthinkable. That was worldly. And to wear blue jeans to church was worldly. And if you wore, I mean, in some, some circles, at least not in ours, what, what it was all about was whether you wore a white shirt, whether a pastor wore a white shirt or a colored shirt in the pulpit. Oh, man, if you wear anything but white, you're worldly. And it missed the whole thrust of Romans 12, 2, which is be transformed. And that word is metamorpho, from which we get metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed from the inside out, and it has to do with your mind, right? Uh, when music is the enemy, you end up becoming oftentimes a behaviorist, um, manipulating the environment for its desired effects rather than engaging in personal interaction and ministry, okay? Um, so there's some theological problems that may come up when you treat music as an enemy, when music is the enemy, it may reveal re- relational problems. Okay? Don't ask me questions. Don't argue with me. Just get rid of that stuff. Just get rid of it. Um, see, when things get tough, now you as a parent lower the boom. 
and the atmosphere is now hostile and doesn't lend itself to any kind of interaction or any kind of ministry, and you become an authoritarian. You become a tyrant. Or it just the pendulum swings to the other, the other side. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. He just listens to his stuff in his room and he just seems so surly. And it's just the shrug kind of parenting. You know, I hate this. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I hate that. You know? Um, and again, on this end, you end up with an, uh, a tyrant, no ministry. On this end, you end up with passive parent, no ministry. Right? Nothing's going on between you. Okay? Now here's a question. Suppose you are successful in removing the offending music. How successful have you been? What really has changed in the life of those young people? Okay? Of course, in our day, there were churches who would have these big special services and all the kids would show up with their albums and with great fanfare, they would have this big bonfire in the church parking lot and burn all their records... Okay, but then here's the question. Have there been any long-lasting changes because of that? Can you, see, can you see more maturity? Suddenly are they more mature because you burned all the records? How have you equipped them? Can they handle life by handling the Bible now? Do they know more? Do they know more about themselves, their world, and their God because you just got rid of all that stuff. Okay? How successful have you really been? Well, when you view music as an enemy, those are some of the things that might happen. So, what do we mean by, and how does it help to view music as an avenue? Okay? Music can be an avenue to understanding the culture or the formative influences of young people. Now here's where Romans 12, 1 and 2 comes in. We're renewed by, uh, or we're changed by the renewing of our minds, right? Well then, it also works the other way. What's forming their minds? Music may be giving rival interpretations of life, right? Music may be giving rival interpretations of life, a different perspective. You see, young people do not merely react to facts. No one does. You don't just react to facts. Everything goes through an interpretive grid. You know that? This is one of the things I say in counseling all the time. This person does this thing to you, and then you're angry or depressed. Did this cause this? No. What happened is, this happened... And you interpret that. You run it through an interpretation. And that's what causes those emotions. Mm. So let's think about this in terms of our children, our young people, okay? Um, they don't just react to anything. They're interpreting stuff. Um, just like everyone else does. And so the music may be giving them a particular frame of reference, a particular interpretive grid. They're building their interpretive grid. Is the music building that grid? The musicians and the poets that they hear help build that frame of reference. The poets give them the stuff by which they organize, interpret, and explain reality. I like what um, Paul Tripp says in Age of Opportunity. Parents who understand that their children are not simply reacting to the facts, 
but are interpreting the facts in a way that gives them a particular shape and meaning will ask good questions and be good listeners. All right? Conversation now takes on a whole takes on whole new meaning and purpose. In other words, it's it's not just, oh, shut that stuff off. All right? Now you're trying to understand what are the rival interpretations of life that they're giving? What's building into their framework? And this gives you an opportunity to enter their world. All right? What are the prevalent voices of today? Now, in my day, it was revolution, change, rebellion. That was the big deal, right? But do you know what it is today? Is that what's going on today? Having entered their world, you start to understand what forms their thinking, their interpretation of the world. Now, the things I'm going to quote are dated. Here's another thing I've noticed this and I talk about this with my kids all the time. They'll be listening to something. I'll say, who is that? And they'll mention it, and I'll be thinking, who are they? Like, right in our day, Rolling Stones, Beatles, um, James Taylor, whatever. You know, they lasted a while, right? They had a life of, unless you're a one-hit wonder. But other than that, you lasted a while. Now, like, a group is at the top for about, I don't know, six months and then they disappear under the flur of the latest hot thing to come along. It's just hard to keep up. So the, the groups I'm quoting, probably these young people, I don't know if they've even ever heard of them, because this is back, I don't know, some years ago. Any of you ever heard of Bright Eyes? There it is. It's like, let's see, how old is Levi now? <laughs> Levi's my son. Yeah, so how, how old is Levi? This is big when Levi was... He's 30. So it would have been... 12 years ago. It's, I'll still quote him just because it serves a point. And, um, this is from Bright Eyes. Their, their uh, lead guy was Connor Oberst. Here's a song called I Don't Know When But A Day's Going To Come. All right, listen to these lyrics. Is it true what I heard about the Son of God? Did he come to save? Did he come at all? And if I dried his feet with my dirty hair, would he make me clean again? They say they don't know when, but a day's going to come when there won't be a moon and there won't be a sun. It will just go black. It will just go back to the way it was before. Now, I've read some books and I've grown quite brave. If I could just speak up, I think I would say that there is no truth. There is only you and what you make the truth. So I'll just sing some songs and just pass a hat, and then I'll leave your town and I'll never look back. No, I don't look back because the road is clear and laid out in front of me. Uh, laid out in front of me. Now I'll get home and I'll meet my friends at my favorite bar. We'll get some lighter heads for our heavy hearts, and we'll share a drink and we'll share our fears, and they will know how I love them, and my, I am nothing without their love. All right? Wow. Really peppy, isn't it? Yeah. Now, you're going to lose opportunities to understand what's going on in that world if you just say, turn off that noise. You're not going to understand what's, what's going on in that culture and how that culture is forming their thinking. Okay? Now, music can also be an avenue to understanding hearts and desires. Proverbs 4.23, Right? Guard your heart for its wellspring of life. 
Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Jesus makes a big point of that, right? The disciples said, Ooh, you really offended the Pharisees because you didn't, you know, you didn't wash your hands in that ceremonial washing you're supposed to do after you rub shoulders with the Gentiles. And he says, What come, a man is not unclean from what comes from the outside, he's unclean from what comes from the inside. And he goes on to say, Everything that happens on the outside starts in the heart, right? So if we're going to counsel, if we're going to be the kind of people we need to be, if we're going to counsel the way we ought to be, as, as Glenn said, you're a counselor by nature. We all are. So if we're going to be a good counselor, we have to get to the heart. So what's going on in the heart? Counseling and parenting is a battle for the heart. Counseling and ministry is a battle for the heart. What are the desires, the attitudes, the beliefs, the values behind, behind listening to that kind of music? Okay, first of all, here, do you hear, hear what I'm asking? What are the desires, attitudes, beliefs, and values behind listening to this kind of music? Does he listen to this music because he's trying to fit in? We have there. We have the fear of man. He doesn't care for it that much, but he wants to be cool. Or do the lyrics strike a responsive chord? Do they speak to some kind of lowliness? Do they connect to their hopelessness? Is it connecting to rebellion? Is it connecting to romance? What's going on? What kind of music they listen to oftentimes reveals the kind of people they are. Okay? My boys hated pop music. Definitely hated it. But they're really into, um, yeah, as far as they're concerned, pop music was trivial trash. It didn't say anything about life or anything. So they were kind of into the indie scene. The kind of music that spoke to the meaning of life and the dark side of life in a sin-cursed world, you know. That's what they were into. Now, that said something to me. And I could tell you what it said. They weren't into trivial stuff that didn't say anything. They wanted to hear something that would be deeper. Something that would cause you to think, okay? Um, and that, that helped me understand my boys, all right? What motivates your daughter to spend time alone in her room away from the rest of the family listening to her music? What's going on there? What's happening there? Okay? Um, so you see, the music issue gives opportunities for real heart exposure and for giving biblical answers to them. Um, as you expose their hearts by those discussions and with the Bible addressing those desires, you have an opportunity to help them see themselves in new and biblical ways. Okay? So it helps you get to their heart, their hearts, um, and to understand what's going on inside, what's going on. Music can be an avenue for equipping young people. Now hear me out, okay? This ought to lead to discussions with the Bible open in front of you. It gives you great opportunity to teach a biblical and Christian worldview for interpreting the world. Um, okay. Um, here's another one. This is Bright Eyes again. Waste of Paint. That's the name of this. I have a friend. He's mostly made of pain. He wakes up, drives to work, and straight back home again. He once cut one of my nightmares out of paper. I thought it was beautiful. 
I put it on a record cover. I tried to tell him that he had a sense of color and composition so magnificent. And he said, thank you, please, but your flattery is truly not becoming me. Your eyes are poor. You're blind. You see, no beauty could, come, could have come from me. I'm a waste of breath, of space, of time. So I've been hanging out by the train depot. No, I don't ride. I just sit and watch the people there, and they remind me of wind-up cars in motion, the way they spin and turn and jockey for position. I want to scream out that it all is nonsense. All your lives are one track. Can't you see it's pointless? But just then my knees give under me, my head feels weak, and suddenly it's clear to me it's not them but me who's lost my self-identity. And as I hide behind these books I read while scribbling my poetry like art could save a wretch like me with some ideal ideology that no one could hope to achieve. And I'm never real, it's just a sketch in me, and everything I made is trite and cheap, a waste of paint, of tape, of time. Well... I guess I see a lot of hopelessness there, right? A lot of hopelessness expressed in that song. And there are answers to that, right? So, um, here's the truth. And so I say, guys, look. Look at what he's saying here. Um, That's truth. He's talking about the futility of life that most people experience. Right? He's talking about this is how a lot of people think, how futile life is. Um, and, and so, you know, I ask him, do you see where he puts his hope? He's putting his hope in art. Art's going to be his great Savior. And then he despairs even in that Savior. And so what you need to do is help them to, to use the Bible to think and to think critically. Help them to use the Bible to think and to think critically. You can help them understand both the comfort and the challenge of the gospel. That's how Paul Tripp puts it. I love that. The comfort and the challenge of the gospel. Here it is for them. Galatians 1.4. Look at that. Galatians 1.4 Well, three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I said, do you see that? Jesus himself rescued you from this present evil age with all its hopelessness and futility. He's rescued you from that. What about their friends? What about their friends? Does the, does the scriptures, does the gospel say anything to their friends? For example, indie music has great expressions of alienation and hopelessness. Um, I wanted my sons to see that if this is what their friends were thinking and this is how they were going about life, then they needed the gospel, right? They needed the hope of the gospel. And, and you know what? You need to weep for them, not just listen to the music with your brains disengaged. And they needed to have the attitude of Jesus in Matthew 9, right? He looks at all these people, it says, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. What an opportunity to teach theology 
at this point, theology um, make is alive for them. Why aren't we hopeless? Why does life have meaning? What answer would you give to that artist? What answer would you give to that artist if he said that to you in a conversation? What would you say to that? And we'd take those lyrics apart and say, "What would you say to that?" Hear what he's saying. What would you say to that from the gospel? How would you address that? Just challenge them to do that. And none of that happens if all you do is just say, turn off the noise. Right? None of that happens. Now, here's the tough part, though. Music can be an avenue to understanding your own heart. Because this issue is going to expose the thoughts, the values, the attitudes, the desires of your own heart. Okay? Maybe you have a lust for control. The goal of parenting is not to retain tight-fisted control in order to guarantee their safety. Okay? It's not tight-fisted control so that they're never exposed to any kinds of evil so that you keep them safe the whole time. You've got to remember, your instrument's in the hand of the Redeemer. You're not the Redeemer. Right? You may find out that you have a desire for conformity. You just want everything to be the way you want it. And this stuff is just, it's, it's just noise or I hate this. Um, I, you know, it just, I just want things to be my way. It may expose a heart of fear. If I don't throw this stuff out, they'll go down the tubes. If we don't get rid of this, they will go down the tubes. You're saying to me, are you saying, Tim, then do nothing? No. I'm saying you bring the Word of God to bear and you expect God to work. You expect God to work. Can I tell you something? There are times where Beck and I, I remember one night in particular, and I don't know if it revolved around the music thing, but it's just kids in general. Just being in the kitchen... And in desperation, I ask this question. Do these boys have the same Holy Spirit we do? Yes. Did we make mistakes when we were young? Yes. Did the Holy Spirit teach us? Yeah. You think we can trust Him? Now, it doesn't mean that you just say, Oh, trust the Holy Spirit, don't do anything. But if you're a parent, you know what it's like. You just Sometimes it feels like you're banging your head against the wall. And it's just a, a matter of being faithful. Here's something else that may expose in your, in your own heart. A craving for comfort and ease. Because you know what? It takes a lot of work to listen, to study the scriptures together, to try to find the answers that address their desires and attitudes of their hearts. It is not easy to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning talking about art. That's hard. Especially if it's Saturday. And you've got to preach the next day. That's the way it was with us, it just seems. Because the boys would wrestle and we'd come home from the tournaments and then they'd want to talk. And Oh, see, sometimes I thought, I'm never going to get to bed. But you know what? It's more than comfort and ease. It may be you desire a certain reputation, right? Oh, man, if our friends at church knew that they were singing this kind of music, what are they going to think? Right? So, it exposes your own heart. It can be an avenue to understand the relationship you have with your young people. It's going to reveal whether you have a relationship that's strong enough for this kind of ministry. 
if you're not used to talking, if you're not used to talking and interacting with your kids when you get to this point, it's going to be really hard. Um, it's not just going to happen now. You've got to work at this. And it has to start when they're really young, when they believe everything you say. Right? I love Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. He was asking a father, do you ever listen to your children? Do you ever talk with your children? Yeah, he says. Uh, he told me the other day he wanted a bike and I told him to eat his peas. <laughs> Not much interaction there, is there? Right? Um, however, you can use this to build relationships. Okay? When you get to this point, these are no longer children who believe everything that you say without question. They're at that stage where they're starting to think on their own and they may not agree with you. Okay? They're starting to organize. They're starting, starting to be in, organize their lives and their thinking independently. So now you have to learn to talk to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know what? They're going to say, Dad's concerned not just about music. He's concerned about me. Right? If all you do is say, Hey, I'm so tired of this. Shut it off. Hey, yell up the stairs. Will you shut that music off? Right? You know, they're going to find out you're not concerned about them. Right? You've got to engage them. Does this relationship focus on the right behavior or on shepherding their hearts? Um, what are you really interested in? You know what else it reveals? Whether this is a mature Christian relationship that understands the issues of Christian liberty. We don't all agree on everything, do we? We don't. And what does the Bible say? In Romans 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 3, he ends up talking about, you got these two groups, the strong group, the weak group. The, the, the strong group is looking down their noses at the weak Christians saying, why don't you grow up? And the weak Christians are looking are judging the strong Christians and saying, why don't you get godly? And so, Apostle Paul says, look, there are some things we're never going to agree on. They're just not. There's no such thing as complete unanimity within the body of Christ. We're not going to agree on everything. So what do you have to learn to do? You have to learn to quit looking down your nose on the part of the strong brothers and stop judging um, the... Uh, the weak brothers have to quit judging the strong brothers and they have to get to the point where it says in chapter 15, may, God, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You've got the whole issue of Christian liberty in that little microcosm in your kitchen. And you're going to have to learn there are some things we're not going to agree on that are not directly addressed by Scripture. Okay? What do they think when you're not interested in entering their world? You're not interested in what I think or feel. You're not interested in what this guy is saying. Okay? That also, that also says something about your relationship. Are you, are you interested in them? All right, now I'm going to say something here that's very important for you. So everybody listen carefully. This is not in your notes. Please don't misunderstand what 
I am saying here. I am not saying, I'm not encouraging you to allow filth, pornography, and violence in the form of music in your home. Okay? I'm not saying that. There are times you have to say, you know what? God says that's evil. It's gone. All right? A friend of mine got into his son's car one day, turned it on. There was a CD in the CD player. And what he heard coming out of the speakers was horrible, awful, vile stuff. All right? The only thing I'm saying here, at least what I'm, what I'm pleading for here is this. Yeah, you've got to get rid of that. You can't have that. But now, you begin the conversation. Right? You begin the conversation saying, what appeals to you about that? What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about how this forms your thinking? All those questions have to come to play now. So, you know, I, I, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying anything goes, but what I am saying, um, at times like that, it's the beginning of the conversation. You've got to have the conversation. You've got to be talking. You've got to be interacting. You've got to be ministering, not just handing down edicts. Does that make sense? Okay. How can you minister then? First of all, listen. Proverbs 18.2, man, underline it, highlight it, whatever it takes. This is, this is a proverb for many, many parents, especially dads. Proverbs 18.2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinion. How often do we as parents hand out the edicts without ever trying to understand what's going on? Okay? I delight in telling you what I think, but what you're thinking and what's forming your thinking and what's going on in your life, I'm really not that interested in. I just want you to obey me. Okay? So we need to keep that in mind. We need to listen. We need to listen. Listen, clearly, you've got to ask questions. You go in asking questions, gathering data, like we say in counseling. You're gathering data about what drives them. What's so important about this music? Why do you like this kind of music? What have you learned from it? Does this describe the world accurately to you? Or do you disagree with this artist's understanding of the world? See, those are the questions you need to be asking, right? Um, learn. Learn about the music. Learn about the music. All right. Um, where is it coming from? What's its gen? You know, what's its? Where did it start? Why is it so popular? Um, why is it called what you guys call it? Uh, and learn about your young people. Um, talk and discuss the issues with an open Bible. Get them to think biblically. And if they argue their point, listen carefully, go to the Scripture. In fact, if they argue the point, say, that's really interesting. Show me in the Bible where that is. Show me how the Scripture says that's true. Or show me how you can back that up with Scripture. Okay? How do you understand that from a scriptural viewpoint? But here's the thing. You've got to be warned about something you may find that you've been wanting them to agree with your tastes and your preferences, which you can't find in Scripture either. 
better be willing to take that as well. Better be willing for your young people who are thinking to say to you, but dad, where does it say that kind of music is wrong? The style, I should say. Right? Now, you young people here, I don't know. I don't know where you are on this one, but I cannot stand hip-hop and rap. It just drives me nuts. <laughs> but that's me. Right? That's just me. I've I got to recognize that. It's just my preference. Uh, we have a, a young buck in our church. In fact, he's one of our elders. And he and another young guy love uh, this rap that's coming out from these um, young Christian artists. And they're, man, they're putting out some good stuff. I say, guys, Josh, write it for me. Write it down for me, okay? I hate to listen to it. <laughs> oh. But you've got to be willing. You're going to open with an open Bible. Be willing to also learn. You're not there to beat them over the head with the Bible. You're willing to also to learn. You're to find out. And you may find out your tastes and preferences aren't in the Bible either. Okay? Hey, give biblical homework. Right? This is counseling. Give them homework. Have them find the answers to the questions posed by the artists. Those are the questions. What are the answers? Find them. Have them investigate and read about a Christian view of music and artistic expression. Give them work that will help them build a Christian world and life view. Um, in the resources I've given you there, uh, Gene Edward Veith, State of the Arts, that's a, that's a book that, that tries to, to um, put together a biblical view of arts, of the arts. Um, I just I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure I can recommend it. Al Al Moeller, some years ago wrote on a, in his blog and then reposted it again. No, maybe he didn't repost it. Maybe I just looked it up. It's from November 16, 2005. A Christian Vision of Beauty. Now I haven't read it yet, but I'm you know Al Moeller's a great thinker, and so I figure this is going to be good. In which he tries to. Um, from what I've read so far, he's, he's trying to put together a Christian view of what beauty, of what art is. Those are the kinds of things that we need to be doing. Um, so give them biblical homework, and you start reading about art and music. You start trying to understand those things. Now, your kids may not be that deep into it. My boys were just... In fact, one of those boys is, is an artist. I mean, he just that's just him, and... And so we're forced to do go deeper in some things than than maybe we would if he wasn't that way. But it is good to start learning those things. Um, anything you can get by the Riken brothers would be good. There's uh, Philip Graham Riken and Leland Riken. They've written some good stuff. There's another one that someone recommended to me. Um, called All God's Children and Blue Suede Shoes by Ken Myers. Ken Myers is a believer, is a Christian who used to work for NPR. I know some might think that that's hard to put together, but um, um, I hear that's really, really well done about Christians and culture. Okay? So I'm just let's just sum up in two statements, okay? First of all, See music as a means to encourage growth. See music as a means to encourage growth. And see music as a means of building relationships. 
I think that this alone, uh, this issue alone was one of the means of um, building solid relationships with two of the boys, of our boys, the two that were really involved in this sort of thing. Um, really, really, I think, was a, a spur to us to build deeply into their lives. Um, okay? All right. It's quarter after. It's break time. I think we have break time for a half an hour. Any questions? I'm just going to say, anybody have any? Yeah, three fifty. I have three fifteen to three forty-five is break. So, anybody got questions? You have any questions? Okay. All righty. They're like, this is the way we raise parents. Turn that stuff down. Earache my eye. And this is where all this comes out of. So my son's a drummer. I'm a drummer. It's like he's in the, like, that metal and the speed, metal and the thrash. We both like Rush. We both like, um, you know, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Well, what, what does that give to you? What is that? You know, we've both been to um, concerts together with uh, Dream Theater. We both like that. So, yeah, so we were like, oh, well, she's like, my wife, she'll be like, this other guy yeah, Christian music. You know, well, right, that's right. I'm not getting into the fire, but I just want her to have an avenue that way. So, but yeah, that up is an interesting thing because it's not like I sit there and really enjoy it. But even sometimes I listen to Pastor Fag and he'll quote like Simon and Garfunkel from the altar or from the Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. George is struggling with that. He's always a singer in the 80s, not a rock band, but he's trying to get up because where they play in the venue is rough. Just aren't conducive to good family lives and what he wants to be exposed to. But I thought that idea was something that could have some ground. But people just don't understand Pastor Brock devotion. I don't think if people my age would definitely love it. Yeah, well. But they don't want to hear You got the three kids in music, though, huh? Two of the boys were.